Morning, 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 morning. <laughs> Over this sabbatical period of uh, two months, I, uh, I f- have felt that I've really been challenged by God. And I want to share a little bit about that today. I want to I speak about growth. So how, how does a 65-year-old, 42 years of ministry, 50 years of walking with the Lord, how does he continue to grow? Most experienced of all the Josh Gen elders, how do I continue? To, and God challenged me. How, how am I going to continue to grow and rather than sit back on my laurels, my successes, or planting eight churches? How, how do I continue to grow? And that was a real challenge because I, I want to continue to be a student. I want to continue to be a student of the Word. I, I want to be a lover of Him. I want to continue to grow and flourish. So the two verses that I've got, and you know, one, one of these verses is one of the saddest verses that Paul ever wrote in his epistles. It's to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1 in the New Uh, Living Translation says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as one would to mature Christians. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I couldn't talk to you as mature, but I had to talk to you as infants. I mean, can you imagine saying that to a church? So how, where are you? How, if Paul had to come to us, how would he be able to speak to us? Would he be disappointed with our progress? And then Paul prayed in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. And as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's, that's his desire, his prayer, that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the desire, that we would continually be bearing fruit and walking in the knowledge of God. So I wanted to use an illustration, and I asked him to handle it for them, but they're somewhere stuck in my briefcase. Is that, oh, there we go. These things. It, it's, it's rubber bands. They're pretty useless right now. I mean, these are things you can't eat either. And I always find that challenging if you can't eat them. <laughs> but these are rubber bands. Why are they useless? They're only good when they've been stretched. So that's what I want to say to you this morning, is stretch yourselves. Thanks, Tom. Stretch yourselves. Be on that stretching thing. They're only useful when they're stretched. If you're not stretching in your personal walk, in your communal walk with other Christians, uh, in, in your leadership or whatever position you hold in the life and the work of the church, I don't think that you're being very effective for God and for His kingdom. Are you striving? Are you stretching yourself? That's the only way to be effective. 
that story, that wonderful story is told of a tour guide that took some tourists into an Italian um, village and uh, they were sitting, talking to some of the locals and one of the people asked, and fortunately this guy was able to speak in English, and he said to this local, have there been any great men that have been born in this town? And the Italian looked at him and said, no, only babies. <laughs> only babies. You see, every person that's achieved something has had to stretch for it. There's no such thing as a self-made person. And we need to keep on keeping on. We need to keep on doing what God has required us to do right until the very end. If you've achieved anything in your, in your life, if you've been effective in any area, you've had to stretch for it. The only person that can stop you from becoming everything that God wanted you to be is you. If you're not the person that God had in mind, when he created you, it's not his fault. He never asks us to be what he doesn't enable us to be. So why are you not stretching? So I've got three different points. Why are we not stretching? Why are we not expanding? And the first one is fear. Just being overcautious, anxious, worry. Fear can stop us from many things, many good things. And I think fear is a very poor chisel to carve out our future. You see, the worst liar, the worst, worst liar in the world is listening to your own fears. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is to trust the unpleasant. Fear is to have the assurance that disaster can take place. Fear is to believe in defeat. Fear attracts negative conditions. On the other hand, fear that's opposite to faith, faith on the other hand is powerful and in actual fact, will bring positive influences and circumstances into your life. Fear will cause us to waste today's time on cluttering up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Dale Carnegie, who wrote many books, who was probably very influential at the beginning of uh, the last century, was asked by somebody, what robbed him of the most joy? And this is what he said. Things that never happened. What's an acronym for fear? False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. <laughs> My mother used to say, at night, Richard, hand over all your problems to God. Hand over all your worries. 
and all your fears. I said, why must we do it at night? She says, because you're going to go to sleep. And God is going to be up all night anyway. Only a wise mom. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Let him have all your worries and all your cares, for he's always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you each day. Fear. The other one is to be so satisfied. This was my challenge. Too secure in everything. Got it together. I'm experienced. Then I read a quote by Max Dupree. He said, we cannot become what we need to be by, by remaining what we are. Hmm. I think it's a sad day when you become absolutely satisfied and complacent with where you are. It's a sad day that. When the thoughts that you're thinking and the deeds that you're doing, you're happy with. Sad day. Don't ever become satisfied. See, if you've tasted and have had the taste of success, don't stop growing. Peter Drucker, the management specialist, said the greatest enemy of tomorrow's success is today's success. No one ever made a significant impact after they won a Nobel Prize. Keep on. Keep pushing. Keep growing. Keep being a student. Keep learning. And then the third one is letting the past decide the present and the future. Don't be dictated by the past. The past is the past. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 18 says, Forget the former things. This is God's instruction to his people. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. God forgets the past. Stop looking back at those things. They chisel, they, 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 they cast in concrete. There's nothing you can do about that. And you have to look forward into the future and look towards that. Proverbs 27 and verse 12 says, The wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. The wise man looks ahead. You know, even Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, he said, no one puts his hand to the plow and keeps looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And keeps looking back. You can't keep looking back. You have to continue looking forward into the past. You see, one of the names that God has been given is the I am. He's not the God I was. He's the God of I am. He's the God of the present. And he requires us to, to experience the present and to look forward. What area of growth do you want to participate in? What area do you want to stretch in? I think we fall short if we're not stretching, if we're not striving in our Christian faith. And because we fall short, we also are causing others to limit, be limited by us not striving and us not stretching. 
Can you imagine if everyone around you is growing? You are the average of the five closest people around you. And if we're all working towards something special, striving, then there was a, an Italian uh, author, Gian Minotti, who said, hell begins the day that grants us a clear vision of all that we might have achieved and all the gifts that we've wasted. Well, it's a bit of a strong statement, but I said true regret, true regret will be the day when God grants us a vision of all that we have missed out on, all that we could have achieved and all the gifts that we've wasted. Our greatest responsibility and to not shortchange ourselves is to push on and to be an influence about, on, on those around us. So we need to stretch. What causes us to stretch? What causes us to experience new things? Maybe the, the, just the, the challenge itself. Maybe um, you, you, you're dissatisfied with something and you realize, I'm dissatisfied with my present situation and I'm going to cause something to change in my life. Maybe there's previous successes that have taken place. John Kennedy once president of the United States, had a grandfather, Fitzgerald, who told, told the story of when he was a little boy in Ireland and he was walking back home. They used to uh, challenge one another about walking up the walls, the walls that had been uh, built up over many, many years with cobblestones and stones. And uh, these, these walls could be between 3 and 12 foot high. And uh, one day there was the challenge, and Fitzgerald Kennedy took his cap and he threw it over the wall. And he knew immediately that as he threw it over the wall, that he had to go over and get the cap because he dare not go home without a cap because he would have been disciplined. And sometimes we need to declare to others what our situation is, to set goals. What goals have you set? to cause you to grow. As we set those daily goals, we, we, we move out of our place of complacency, we move out of our place of comfort, and as we set those goals, we say, right, I declare that, and those actions will turn into habits, and those habits will turn into, into attitudes and values, and those habits and attitudes will become a lifestyle. But we need to set something. They did research, and in 1953, they took the graduate class at Yale University, and they asked them, what are your goals? And only 3% of that class had written down their goals. 22 years later, in 1975, they went back to that same class, and that 3% had accomplished much more than that rest of the class, that 97% altogether, because they had written down their goals. So the question I'm going to ask just now, I'm going to ask you to share and pray for one another. What are your hindrances? 
And what goals have you set? Because today, before you leave this place, I want you to take that cap and throw it over the fence. And then go home and write it down. Goals have to include other people. You can't have a goal that's only for yourself. Goals have to be clear. Clear as daylight. You must have an awareness of where you're going. Or else you're just aimlessly going. You know, if you aim at nothing, you're going to be sure to hit it. It's nothing. We, we, we flew Emirates Airline backwards and forwards to Portugal. And, you know, today you can watch exactly where you are and the speed you're traveling and the outside temperature. I mean, it's phenomenal to think that this cylinder is flying through the air at the temperature outside is 51 degrees minus... I mean, listen, if anything happens and that plane pops, you're not going to even experience the ground and hitting the ground because you'll be frozen. You'll be an icicle halfway down. <laughs> but I mean, I was, we were watching. I mean, flying over Portugal, over Spain, all the way over Mediterranean, over Saudi Arabia. We knew exactly where we were. The plane knew exactly and the time that we would touch down. Knew the direction. And coming back from Cape Town, from uh, the Emirates, we knew exactly which country we were going to fly over, Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, Zambia, Botswana, and into South Africa. It was a long trip. Legs were tired, and a few other parts of the body very tired. (laughs) But we knew where we were going. Goals have to be measurable. As you can see that you're making progress, goals must be expandable. You don't set your goals in concrete, and sometimes there needs to be a bit of a diversification, but goals have to be full of conviction, unshakable confidence that makes it worthwhile. What are your goals? You're going to experience criticism as you stretch. You're going to do something new. You're going to do something special. Do you know what's going to come your way? It's criticism. Maybe, and I have just thrown it out there, maybe this next year we need to plant a church in Strand. So I've declared it. There goes the cap. Anybody from Strand here? Come on. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. We've got a church in Hrubog, Gordon's Bay. Now let's do Strand. Let's fill this Helderberg Valley with devoted believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ. But criticism will come our way. You know, criticism always comes from people who are mediocre. By the standard you measure, it will be measured to you, says the Bible. Jonas Salk, who invented the polio vaccine, was attacked, and he found that criticism came in three directions, at three stages. He says, first of all, people will criticize you because you're wrong and you don't know what you're doing. 
then when they see some kind of success, they say it won't be, it's not important, it won't have any effect. And then the third one is when they see success coming, they say, well, you, we knew that we were going to do it all the time. So criticism will come your way. Proverbs 18 and verse 7, a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare. And that's why we need to talk positively to ourselves. We need to, we need to say to ourselves positive things. We need to belong to the family of God and repeat wonderful verses that are in the Bible. What kind of voices are you listening to? That heart surgeon and preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, most unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself. I mean, I found myself during this time that I wasn't preaching regularly, that I was actually going into negative experiences. I have kept a file over the years. It's called my encouragement file. And I've sometimes had to go to that because I've just thought, you know, I'm becoming discouraged. One of the greatest Old Testament prophets, we were talking about uh, uh, this person uh, this, this morning with, with a number of guys. The two people that never saw death is Elijah and Enoch. And Elijah, one of the great prophets of God, he did incredible things. He called down fire from heaven, saw that 450 prophets of Baal died. He uh, ran faster than the horses of Ahab. He prayed for rain to come. He caused revival to come to Israel. But, you know, a few chapters later, he's sitting under a tree and he's in a place of discouragement and depression. I mean, how awesome to call down fire from heaven and a few chapters later, I'm depressed. I'm of no worth. Come on, Elijah. You're listening to yourself. You're not talking to yourself about the good and wonderful things. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 and 24 says, In all the work that you're doing, work the best you can. Work as if you're doing it for the Lord and not for people. Remember that you will receive your, your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be reminded of those wonderful events. You know, David brings some cheese and bread to his brothers in the army. And all of a sudden, everything stops and this booming voice from the other side of the valley takes place. And it's Goliath. Who's that? He's a giant. He's the biggest man in all of history, nine foot tall. He's the biggest man. And David says, I'm going to fight him. And that news gets back to Saul, and Saul says, Come here. How, how are you going to fight this giant? He's just a boy. He's 15 years old. He doesn't even know how to use a sword. He doesn't even know how to use a spear. All that he's got is a sling and a couple of stones. And he says to Saul, the king at that time, 
He said, once I killed a lion and once I killed a bear, the same God that allowed me to kill a lion and a bear is going to help me kill that giant. And then the confrontation takes place. He kills Goliath, takes his own sword, chops his head off. Why does he chop his head off? To make sure that he's dead. He might have just been knocked out by that. So to make sure that he's dead and then to take his head as a trophy to say, look what God did. And then he took his weapons and put them in his tent. And when he woke up in the morning, he thought, my God allowed me to defeat that man. I have his weapons. We need to be reminded of the wonderful, wonderful things that God has done in our life. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than you, than all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Uh, Just look at that little one again. According to the power that works in us. What's going on? We'll experience the abundance of God according to the power that worketh within us. There's a lovely story of Shaka, the fearless king of the Zulu tribe. Some of his officers and his MP warriors wanted to make a fool of him. And they wanted to make sure that the people knew that he didn't have any special powers. So one day they gathered and one of the officers brought in his hand a little bird, a little tiny blow Susie. Had it in his hand. And he said to Shaka, I've got a bird in my hand. Is this bird to test his special powers? Is this bird dead or alive? And Shaka realized that if he said one thing, he would do the opposite. So if he said, the bird is dead, they would just open their hand and it would fly away. If he said, the bird is alive, they would just put their hands together and crush this little bird and it will be dead. And Shaka in his wisdom said, the answer, my friend, is in your hands. You want growth? You want to stretch? I want to say to you, it's in your hands. 